for those who are visitors with us. We have been for a period of time, a few years now, um, following the lectionary, and I'm still learning how to follow that because I'm a Presbyterian and we're not uh, very good at following lectionaries. And there are times in it when I I think um, that's enough of the lectionary, not because of where it is, but just because it's not what I grew up with. And yet Doug, who I keep quoting, um, who did our church weekend a couple of years ago, Doug Gay, has just published a book about preaching. And um, he's a Church of Scotland minister, um, um, lectures in practical theology in Glasgow. And his first chapter is all about the lectionary. And he has made me more convinced than ever that the the lectionary gives a congregation, a community, a preacher, obviously, uh, this opportunity to... Um, give the whole counsel of God even though I have to say many times so far I've been concentrating on the gospels and maybe even this morning we might see that but what Doug also brought out in that chapter was how the lectionary is the bible through a year or through a three-year cycle actually and um, and what he what he talks about is that there's the lectionary year that you bring to the preaching and then there's the year that you bring to the preaching Um, there's the cultural year, the political year there's all kinds of years you bring to the preaching Um, and then there's your year that you bring to the preaching and there's a Fitzroy year, a congregational year you bring to the preaching and um, in many ways that was quite interesting and profound for me particularly in in the preaching of this passage on St. Patrick's weekend with what's going on in Belfast and around at this time. So you'll see some of those themes of all those things coming through this morning's sermon. An Irish stew for St. Patrick's Day of all kinds of different years. And there's no better place to start than yesterday afternoon. Apologies to our English friends. It's an interesting moment because really we're 14-5 up. Let's get in at half time. 14-5 up will do very nicely. But somebody didn't want to. Jacob had other ideas. And so deep into injury time, this young fella, and he is young even in rugby terms, gets the ball close to the line. And in those next few moments, if you're not a rugby fan or if you are a rugby fan, analyze them for a moment. Because there was rugby genius happened right there. The kick, the awareness at one stage, if you watch the replays to see whether did he knock it on with his hands, almost pulling his hands away because he knew he couldn't knock it on with his hands and still being able to get to the line, that elongated line that the English tactically gave him so that he could score that try. History-making try. Nobody in Six Nations history has scored more tries in a Six Nations than the boy Wonder, who everybody wants a piece of. Jacob Stockdale. Everybody wants a piece of him. So, let me get my piece. His grandfather and I worked side by side in First Antrim because he was our youth leader, Ivan Stockdale. Now that doesn't mean I'm the same age as his grandfather. His grandfather still goes in youth club camps in his 80s. 
He is the guru of all Irish youth work. And I probably did the next three years of my life after First Antrim because of the influence of Ivan Stockdale. His father's a Presbyterian minister, for goodness sake. Ivan also convinced my father-in-law to ask my mother-in-law out. I'm pretty dependent on this Ivan Stockdale guy for having a wife at all. But then we bring it to Fitzroy, don't we? He's Amy's cousin. Sarah's cousin, Zoe's cousin. Yes, second cousins, but who's second cousins this morning? We're all cousins. In fact, I think probably sister and brother, but we'll not go that far. He's Betty's grandniece. He's Jacob, grand nephew, actually. <laughs> Glad you put me right in that one. Wouldn't want to meet Jacob in the wrong place. And me call him... A big and uh, niece. Um, anyway, we all want a piece. Jacob Stockdale. All over the news, everybody wishes to get the selfie with him. And you know, we don't want a selfie with the statistics. We don't want a selfie with he scored seven tries and won six nations behind him or he plays for Ulster or he went to Wallace or whatever other stats we want to bring to play. We don't want a selfie with statistics about Jacob Stockdale. We want a selfie with Jacob Stockdale. We want his presence. We want his physique. We want his charisma. We want that smile that he always has when he touches the ball down, especially in that extra three yards at Twickenham for the Grand Slam. We all want a piece of the celebrity, the hero. We all wish to see Jacob. He will be inundated with all kinds of offers, particularly from churches, from those who know his family, to come and be seen and be heard. And I think that takes us nicely end of this passage in John because people wanted to see the religious celebrity of the day we wish to see Jesus and if we follow John's gospel of course in the editorial of John's gospel we find that early on Philip says to Nathaniel come and see where he's staying come and see is something that's there right from the start of this gospel this is about seeing Jesus This is not about statistics about him or just verses about him. John's trying to give us an insight so that we might feel that we see Jesus, his presence, his charisma, his grace. It's not about stats or verses to remember or doctrinal theology. It's about seeing Jesus. And I think the world, whether it knows it or not, wants to see Jesus. C.S. Lewis always said that people don't reject Jesus. They reject the Jesus they have seen or been given. And that's perhaps an indictment on the church. I'm often saying, oh, we're such bad PR for Jesus. Because is the Jesus the world sees, the Jesus that's there in the Gospels, the Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago are they getting as close as they can to seeing 
Jesus, his presence, his charisma, his grace. Uh, Randy and Maggie Hemingway were up with us. They're singing in Fitzroy. It's in the order of service, 19th of May, but that's, there'll be time to plug that again. Maggie's an American, uh, married to Randy, who with a name like that's bound to be American. Um, and a wonderful voice. She sang here in Fitzroy a while back, sang to the woman's, um, the woman just a, a few weeks ago. And, and she was singing at the Bell Nash, Belfast Nashville Festival around that time. And she came in uh, to see us before Joan and Ronnie left at that morning. And Randy was saying to me that they'd met another band. They're living in Gorey. Now, why you would move from Colorado to Gorey, I don't know. You need to ask them. There's a calling. Um, but uh, they met another band from Gorey, and they were saying they'd really get on well with this band from Gorey, and they thought they would maybe be able to work with them again. But Randy said, oh, they just they don't like the God thing. They really, they're really down on the God thing. And I was saying to him, they've rejected the Jesus they've been given. You need to show them the Jesus who is. How do we do that? Because that's the call on all of us. That's what we need to be offering ourselves in the offering during the service every week. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Where do people go to see Jesus? Who will see Jesus this week? in the places where we will be his presence, we in some way will be his charism, his charisma. Jerry used that phrase about being the the charisma of of Christ. So how do we do that? We need to saturate ourselves in these gospels. Just as Helen has been sharing how she got into these stories and saw Jesus in the stories of Mark this week. Or as Barbara did last week, taking us right down there to seeing the rivers that he was walking alongside or seeing the places that he was. We need to saturate ourselves in these gospels to the point that we see Jesus. That we see Jesus more than statistics. That we see Jesus more than verses we've learned. That we see Jesus more than doctrines we know about him. That we see this living, breathing, flesh and blood, God become human. And that as we see Jesus in these Gospels, as we begin to experience him in these Gospels, that we become the Jesus we want to share. Was it Gandhi who said, be the change that you want to see? For Christians, it's not much different a paraphrase to say, be the Jesus you want people to hear in your conversation. They don't want to hear about him. The Greeks that came in this passage didn't say we want to hear more about Jesus. They'd heard about Jesus. We want to see Jesus. In Northern Ireland, even now, and I know we're generations away from people sending their kids to Sunday school and going to church every week and churches being full around the country, but even in the state that we're in, in the generation or two generations down the road from everybody being churchgoers, most people have heard about Jesus. Most people still in Northern Ireland, maybe not in England, but still in Northern Ireland could probably tell you he was born at Christmas and he died at Easter. They might even be able to give you place names like Bethlehem or Galilee. They might even know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, they probably do know the Lord's Prayer. They don't want to hear any more. They want to see. They want to experience. This Jesus who walked among the leper and the prostitute. 
and the Samaritan woman and the Roman centurion. This Jesus whose presence, whose presence and grace changed and transformed lives. They want to see him. Yes, we should still share words and doctrine. Yes, we should still share verses and thoughts from the gospel. But more than all of those things, we need to live like the Jesus we're trying to share. And you know, there's some of us, as I say that, and we're almost not sure that we do want to share Jesus. Because in the generation we live in, it's a bit cringy to share Jesus. I think that's where the problem is. Even the Jesus we think we're sharing is not the Jesus of the Gospels. Because if we got to see the Jesus of the Gospels, I'm not sure we'd have any embarrassment about sharing him with others. We need to see the authentic, real deal. But it's interesting. When the Greeks come and say they want to see Jesus, we don't even know whether they do see him or not. Jesus goes off on one, as he does often in John's Gospel. And in the light of people wanting to see him, he takes us to the cross. Now this is interesting, because up until now, up until John chapter 12, we're aware that his time had not come. Right back there at the time when he turned the water into wine and he says, woman, what are you saying to me? My time has not come. And there's a couple of other occasions where the crowds are out to get him and he kind of sneaks away because his time has not come. Come to John chapter 12 and come to this stage of Lent where we are just a week away from Palm Sunday and we realize that the time has come and that Jesus has set his sights on Jerusalem and on the cross. And so he takes him to this cross. And he reveals himself, I will be lifted up. I will be glorified in the circumstances of the passion. That's intriguing. If we want to see Jesus, then this is where he takes us. Now he's been born, and I have said just a few months ago when the, uh, we, we had the crib out here and we had the baby Jesus in it, and we didn't have much straw this year because we wanted to keep things tidy, but the stable was there. I was able to say, and I do believe it, that everything that Jesus says and does in the Gospels is right there in the Nativity story. And it's probably right there around the Easter story too because Jesus, when he wants people to see who he is, takes us to this place of sacrifice. This place of giving up your life to have life. This place of the seed having to go in the ground before something grows. This place of not holding on to yourself because you could lose your soul but giving up yourself so that you can find life in its abundance. This is where Jesus takes them. You see, interestingly, yesterday, if we want to concentrate on that moment in injury time, where Jacob did something that, you can say this to him if you meet him, that Andrew Trimble couldn't do because Andrew couldn't kick the ball the way Jacob Stockdale does. When he had that little deft touch of rugby flair, to score that try. We might concentrate on that and we might see that as that's Jacob Stockdale, but you're missing a whole lot of other things. You're missing the hits that he puts in in defence. You're missing the stuff that he does that's the hard work. Yes, there's the caress of God's grace, but then there's the collision of God and Jesus against the world. And in what June Pat read, we see that Jesus is saying, if you want to see me, I'm out to take on the principalities of the world. I'm on to take on the world. I'm here to get rid of the princes 
of the world. What we're involved in here is serious business. Following Jesus is not some respectable put your shirt and tie on and have your hair neat. Helen suggested I could have done with a clip this morning because it's not sitting just right, but we thought the clip was maybe just a step too far. To say I'm a follower of Jesus is not saying I'm going to behave nicely and I'm going to be a shirt and tie respectable middle class human. I uh, have a friend, a Methodist colleague, who sent me the most beautiful Facebook message yesterday. Um, He's uh, doing something for Lent where he's showing his gratitude to others for what they've done for him. And he shared a story with me that's a long time ago and such a long time ago that it's dim in my memory. He said he took me to Pretoria once because um, I think the Methodist youth were down around Pretoria doing something for the weekend and he brought me down to speak to the boys as it was then in Pretoria Royal. And he said he remembers one line that I spoke that day that has shaped his life sense, which is really, it's quite encouraging for the preacher. And this was the line. Jesus didn't die, boys, that you would go and tidy your room. Jesus didn't die that you would go and tidy your room. So I'm in the context of borders. I'm thinking, what does it mean to follow Jesus if you're a border? And I'm saying, well, I could follow Jesus. I'm going to go and tidy my room and be respectable. What I was saying was, Jesus died for so much more than us being tidy. Not that there would have been any harm in them going to tidy their room after that morning service. Jesus died that we would take on the rulers, the principalities and powers. Us, as I look out at you now, you're those who will take on the principalities and powers of the world into a new kingdom. Kingdom people were thinking about this week. We're going to go to war with things. I was on the radio this week and I was saying, I was using that, um, it's actually a Nick Lowe quote, but they played the Elvis Costello version because that's maybe better known. What's so funny about peace and love and understanding? I never understand people that are against peacemaking, but there's an awful lot of them in Northern Ireland giving peacemakers an awful lot of abuse for trying to make peace. Because there's something in the DNA of the fallen nature of a fractured world that we've just been singing about that doesn't want the kingdom, doesn't want peace, doesn't want shalom, doesn't want fairness, doesn't want love, doesn't want harmony because it would impinge in their rule or their self-indulgence. If we see Jesus, if we see Jesus at the cross, if we see Jesus lifted up on that cross, we see a Jesus who has come to take on the fractured, broken world around us. To take it on in almost warlike ways. The time has come. I'm going to finish with just a thought or two from the next few verses. Because where Jesus goes in the next few verses are interesting in the weekend that we're in. In verse 35 and 36, he goes into quite an oblique little section, which we understand, but it takes a little bit of working out. You're going to have the light just a little while longer. That's Jesus walking. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have light, so that you may become children of light. 
When he'd finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. The darkness is coming up in this Lenten study. And some of us might be in it. So let me give you just a couple of stories of people in darkness who became light bearers. I've already mentioned St. Patrick. It's St. Patrick's weekend. And when I grew up, there it was all the time. Well, my, my, my father used to say, if you, can see, if you can't see Slemish, it's going to rain. And if you can see Slemish, it's raining. Slimish was always there. I would cycle out to the golf course. Slimish was always in front of me. You would drive anywhere in Balamina, there was Slimish. And the two things I thought about Slimish were, one, it's a volcano that still is dormant, but I was worried as a five or six-year-old, I was a bit disconcerted that it might still go off. Flo would have been in more trouble than me, but it was still possible. She was right below it. I had a few miles to run. And the other thing was that St. Patrick was supposed to be there. And when you think about where St. Patrick got his calling, where St. Patrick found God, then it's really interesting to realize that he was right in the middle of the darkest time of his life. Kidnapped, slave, on a mountain looking after sheep. God comes and breaks in with his light into his darkest place and calls him to be a missionary back to the people who'd kidnapped him. Whoa. What are our dark places this morning? Are we in some dark places? This might be the place. This might be the very place where God might call us, where he might give us a vocation, and where he might send us into dark places to shine his light. We're in the middle of the 14 days. 30th anniversary of the 14 days. Do you remember the 14 days? Gibraltar, three IRA bombers out there to take the British army out with a bomb are shot dead unarmed by the British SAS. They come back to Ireland. I remember them coming back. It was dangerous times. It was tense times. At their funerals, Michael Stone takes a gun and starts to shoot the mourners. Kills three. At one of the funerals of those who were killed at the funerals of those from Gibraltar, Two British soldiers drive somehow, we still don't know why, into the cortege, are taken out of the car and are murdered. This is the darkest days of our troubles. Things were right on the brink of even worse than the killing streets we'd had up until that. It's a hopeless time. It's all on television and it's all around the world. I can see Michael Stone running towards the motorway. I can see the crowd gathering around that car on the Anderson's Town Road. This is the darkest time. In the darkest time, there's one lone Christian right in the middle of it all. When Michael Stone pulls his gun, this lone Christian turns to Jerry Adams and says, as Michael Stone runs to escape, I need to get down there and get between that crowd and him because they're going to kill him. Jerry Adams said to this lone Christian, you're mad. A few days later, he's there when the British soldiers are pulled from the car. He gets his arm around both of them to try and stop them shooting the soldiers. And he's told if he doesn't clear off, they will shoot him as well. Moments later, this lone Christian is photographed trying to give one of them the kiss of life and the last right. 
right into the middle of the darkest time of our troubles, there's one lone Christian who has decided that what we were doing to each other was not biblical and that as a follower of Jesus, he needs to stop the killing. Father Alec Reed. My dad told me he was Jerry Adams' confessor. He was basically in the IRA. Oh, how our sectarian prejudices fog the truth. When they did a documentary that we showed here a few years ago about those 14 days, they went to interview interview Alec about it, and he said, and of course, when I was giving them the kiss of life, I had the letter in my hand. What letter? What letter? The directors of the movie or the film said. The letter, he said. What letter? The letter that were the conditions from Jerry Adams and the IRA to go into peace talks with John Hume of the SDLP. And he says, when I got to Clonard after all of that happened, the blood of the corporals was on the envelope that was going to start the peace process. In the darkest moment of our troubles, in the darkest moment of whatever that bloody violence was, one person decided, I am going to go into the darkness and be Jesus and shine a light. And in that darkest moment, The peace process begun, yes, six years. But wasn't it incredibly just that Harold Good and Father Alec Reed saw the decommissioning of the weapons, that that letter that he picked up, having risked his life, started? What are our dark moments? For Ray Davey, he saw his people bomb in Dresden, changed his life. He came home and started Corrie Mila. And we're praying about it 50 years later. What are the dark moments in our lives that if we would look into them and we would hold strong to our faith in Jesus, if we would bring Jesus, the real Jesus, into them, that we might see light shine, Jesus being lifted up and the world being defeated and the prince of darkness being cast aside. The world in all its darkness needs to see Jesus. Be the Jesus that they need to see. Be the Jesus that we want to share. Let's pray. Lord, we pause for a moment to consider where we are in our lives. Are there shadows cast over us? Are there people around us who need to see Jesus? Do we see that the following of this Jesus and the seeing of this Jesus will take us to cross us, crosses, to laying down life? to seeds being scattered and put in the ground. Lord, I pray that this morning you might call us. Call us and shine your light into our lives where we are, that we might be transformed, that we might be vocationally called, that we might be equipped to do that which the world needs us to do.
not to go and tidy our rooms or to wear a shirt and tie or look respectable, but to walk into dark places to take on the world that you might be lifted up and that people might see you in the places they least expect you to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.